0: Here's Pastor Xavier Ruiz on the difficulties of life.
1: Then to Adam he said, "Curses the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life. The daily ordeal of work would be hard toil work every day of his life. Rather than living a life of peace and paradise forever with God in fellowship with him, he would live a life of sinful tendencies, toil and sweat to provide for his daily bread until he died. Whose fault was it?
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scholars and intellectuals are, you might say, fairly high up on the food chain. And it's no secret, we worship knowledge and the knowledgeable. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the very beginning of man in Genesis chapter 3, and it's here he points out what happens when we worship the wrong kind of knowledge. Here he is with today's message, It's Not My Fault. Let's listen.
1: The fall of man in the Garden of Eden has been revealed to have taken place through the conversation between the serpent and Eve, which was the result of believing three lies. To doubt the Word of God, to mistrust the character of God, and to trust in oneself more than God from verse 1 through 8. What follows is a judicial court scene where the guilty parties are held responsible for their sin regarding the fall. This is the first trial held on earth. The judge of all the earth is the one presiding. Notice first in verse 9, the cross-examination of Adam is presented. The man Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden. They had eaten of the tree of good and evil. Their eyes had been opened to know personally, by personal perception, that they were naked. And so they covered themselves with fig leaves. But everything was not well in paradise. Something had changed. Rather than their eyes being open and becoming like God, like the serpent promised them, they were no longer in fellowship with God, nor with each other. Now they were separated from God. Now, the question of the presiding judge was not to gain information, but rather to elicit conviction and confession. Make that note very, very clear. The expression, where are you, refers to the fallen state spiritually of Adam due to sin. Do you understand where you're at? God wanted Adam to acknowledge his sin, to confess his sin. He knew they were full of guilt, shame, and they were spiritually dead now. He says, have you eaten? From the tree which I command you that you should not eat. He went to hear confession and repentance. He didn't get it. Adam accuses his wife, Eve. Then the man said, the woman. Behaving treacherously towards his bride. Behaving irresponsible towards his role as head of his wife. Adam didn't stop there, by the way. He accuses God also. Listen. Whom you gave to me, with, to be with me. Bluntly telling God he was the one indirectly responsible for the fall. Interesting. The cross-examination moves to Eve. Verse 13. What is this you have done? The accused Eve follows the example of her husband. Remember that, husbands? You're a model. You're teaching your wife on how to be godly. Listen. The woman explains How it happened, but not before she accuses the serpent. The serpent, he deceived me. And then the woman also attempts to justify herself, and I ate due to the deception. (laughs) It is hard to say, you know, I was wrong. I was out of line. But it's so necessary. The confrontation of sin was not a pretty picture, was it? Pretty ugly. Notice the moves to the discrimination of sin, verse 14 through 19. 14 through 15, we have the judicial verdict over the serpent. The order of sentencing is important and very significant. The one who had the greatest privilege had the greater responsibility, therefore will receive the greater punishment. You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go, and you shall eat thus all the days of your life. In fact, the implication could indicate that the serpent walked upright before the fall. Now, notice the presiding judge pronounced the spiritual power struggle now in existence and the promised redeemer. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. The word enmity means hatred, referring to the two families that now exist, the godly seed and the ungodly seed. And that would follow into Israel and everything else, okay? The most definite meaning, secondly, is that the seed of the woman refers to the first promise of the Messiah to be born without a man through the Holy Spirit. Here's the first prophecy of virgin birth. Isaiah seven fourteen, a virgin shall bear a son. You should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Matthew 1:20 fulfills it, of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. Here you have the first proclamation of the gospel in seed form, your Messiah. Notice the Lord promised the permanent defeat of Satan by the Messiah. The reference to, he shall bruise your head, indicates a permanent fatal blow to the authority of Satan over mankind, being crushed in his two comings. Notice the reference to, and you shall bruise his heel, head now heel. It refers to Satan's temporary blow of Jesus, As he died on the cross for three days. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53 says. Now notice in verse 16, the judicial verdict over the woman comes. The verdict is related to her God-given ability to bear children. I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. The implication being that the original created state, she would not have gone through this sorrow, through this pain. And if you're a woman, you have a baby, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The verdict is related to her rebellion against her God-given head. Next. Her husband. Listen. Your desire shall be for your husband. Some say this refers to her submission of the woman and her desire sexually towards her husband. It can't be. Because that was the original state. Imperfection. This is the curse. It has to be the opposite. The context... The woman's desire to usurp authority and control over the headship of the man. Wow. Her husband. She wants to usurp his authority, be the head, and he shall rule over you. There's the sin nature of the man and the woman. The battle of the sexes came about as a result of the fall, not God's doing. But they brought this judgment on themselves through disobedience. Until you're in Christ, there's no hope for you as husband and wife. But the sad scenario is that being in Christ, many have no hope because they're not obedient. They're living like non believers, they're, they're not getting the, the, the harvest they should. Notice the judicial verdict over the man comes last, verse 17 through 19. He addresses Adam thirty, being the last to sin at the hand of his wife. This is the first time the name Adam is used as a personal name. Very first time. He is addressed the longest, by the way, of all three. Even longer than Satan. Eve has one verse. Adam gets three. Head. All right? The presiding judge pronounces the reason for the verdict. It's twofold. Listen carefully. First, because he acted like the tail instead of the head. Where do you get that verse? God uses that phrase for Israel. I've made you the head over all nations. But if you don't obey me, I'll make you the tail. Too many men act like tails instead of heads over their home. Adam should have not listened to his wife. Adam should have not eaten of the fruit. Listen to me well. Husbands and wives, if your husband and wife wants you to do something against God, you obey God. You don't obey your mate. You understand me? You're faithful to God. Secondly, because he acted in disobedience to God. And i have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. God gave to Adam the command directly in Genesis 2:16 and 17. No excuses. Adam was directly responsible to God for that reason. The fall is attributed to Adam, not to Eve. Adam transgressed. 1 Timothy 2 14. Eve was deceived. Notice, because of these two things, the verdict is pronounced. Listen to it well. Then to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life. The ground being cursed now rather than yielding abundant perfection of harvest. What a contrast. The daily ordeal of work would be hard toil work every day of his life. He brought it on himself. The presiding judge describes the curse on the ground. Rather than seeing a flawless garden, by merely caring and keeping the garden, God says both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Rather than eating of every tree of the garden permitted, as he was told, you shall eat the herbs of the field. Rather than living a life of peace and paradise forever with God in fellowship with him, he would live a life of sinful tendencies, toil and sweat to provide for his daily bread until he died. Whose fault was it? He was taken from the ground, breathed life into in Genesis 2.7. He would return to the ground at physical death as God had promised, Genesis 2.17. What God says he means. God will shortchange no one. Everyone will get exactly what they deserve in Christ or apart from Christ. The priority and degree in which justice is to be carried out must follow the amount of culpability based on privilege and responsibility always. This is the model. In a marriage, a man is most responsible for all that takes place in his home and what he allows due to the fact that God has ordained him as the head of the home. First Corinthians 11:3, the head of the woman is the man. He is the head to be the spiritual high priest, to direct, to guide, to execute the running of his home as his wife is working with him. Ephesians 5.23 as a type of Christ. Not as a dictator, but a loving Christ. His wife being the corresponding complement to him as we've seen. Tending to the home, tending to the children. Therefore he is able to work without distraction and anxiety. His home is being cared for. Listen to Titus two four and 5. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be blasphemed. That's the biblical perspective. When men do not take the headship of their home, contrary to the scriptures in the Bible, the result is tension and confusion, and listen, confusion of rules for the children. They're the first to pay. Often it is years of failure to take the bull by the horns, if you will. And many men just don't like conflict, so they let their wives run things in unbiblical ways of the home. And it's sin and disobedience on the man's part. You're the high priest, man. 1 Timothy 5, 14 and 15. Therefore I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the home, Give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. 1 Timothy 5, 14 and 15. Many of the problems in Christian homes today is because Christians are living with the mindset of the world, thinking that they can get away with it and still please God and reap all the benefits. You cannot. You pay up front or you pay at the end. Where do you want to pay? It's up to you. And the discipline of the children. Punishment. They're supposed to be also seeking out culpability. Privilege and responsibility. When you do that, you're teaching your children that you're equitable. You're righteous. You're loving. You will maintain your integrity and your authority in your home. Notice the reconciliation from sin is last. Verse 20-24. Verse 20-21. to 21, God reconciled man by faith. In the promise of the future redeemer, the man Adam names his wife Eve. He did so with understanding the promise of God, because she was to be the mother of all living. The first time Adam identified his wife was an extension of himself, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. In Genesis two twenty three, he was the origin of the woman. This time, Adam names her after the role in marriage for society regarding human race. She would bear children. All children to come would be born of her as living beings in her own image, fallen now, with sin nature. All that would follow would know that the fall came through the woman, but would also know that the Messiah would come through the woman. Now, that's God's mercy. You understand? Notice the man Adam and his wife were atoned for by God. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skins and clothed them. God made an atonement for Adam and Eve's sin. Sin has to be atoned. Here's the principle throughout Scripture. Blood. The innocent, spotless little animal had to die in the substitutionary place of them. A type of substitution that runs throughout the Scriptures. Leviticus uh, 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you as a token for an atonement on the horns of the altar. Jesus Christ, we're cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Peter says, he's the Lamb of God to come. John 1, 29. It's all through there. Now notice God, in verse 22 and 23, recognized the sinfulness of man. And he took steps to ensure Adam and Eve's protection from ruining the promised redemption. Listen. The Godhead, the Holy Trinity, converse once again here among themselves about the fallen man. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Adam and Eve came to know good and evil through disobedience. That's the problem. Adam and Eve's knowledge corrupted them instead of enlightening them. And now, lest he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and need, listen, and live forever. God protected man from himself, lest he enter the garden and eat of the tree alive in a fallen state and then would have lived eternally fallen, unable to be redeemed. God, having prophesied of the Messiah to come, he ensures it here. Mercy. Compassion. Grace, literally. Because he didn't deserve this. The Godhead, the Holy Trinity, sent Adam and Eve forth from the garden. Notice, therefore the Lord God sent them out of the garden of Eden. Yahweh Elohim separated Adam from the garden he had prepared for him and his wife. God's ideal. They forfeited. The garden Eden, the word Eden means pleasure. God removed and sent him away from the presence of God's fellowship and provisions he would have ever needed, everything, to a life of personal toil, sorrow, sorrow and pain of his own doing. And so the Godhead of the Holy Trinity sent man away to live out the consequences of his sin depending on God to till the ground from which he was taken. Adam would have to till labor in the ground that he was taken from rather than to tending and keeping it in Genesis 2.15. What a contrast. Adam would see things grow from the ground with much difficulty, the very same ground he was created from, the very same ground would claim his body one day. Mm. His doing, not God's. And so in verse 24, God realized the secure protection of the garden by an angelic sentinel. The mercy of God is seen by his driving out the man. And the word drove is a strong word that means to thrust out, emphasizing by force and expediency. He didn't want to go. Ladies, you remember the first day of your child in school? <sighs> you don't want to go. It kills you as you drive away. Broken hearted father. Doing what he has to do. The same word is translated divorce three times. God divorced Adam and Eve from the garden. Why? Unfaithfulness. The mercy of God is less than man deserves. Law is what we deserve. Anybody want law? (laughs) The love of God moved him to place cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. Cherubim are angelic beings of the highest order. The word cherub, as you know, as we study the studies of angels, its root is uncertain, but it is believed to mean to cover or to guard. And the first appearance would certainly give credence to the meaning. Uh, Psalm 80 says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubims, shine forth. Psalm 80 verse 1, and we've already seen Revelation 5, 6, before the throne of God, the cherubim there they guard the throne of God the east marks the outer boundaries of the garden the ideal life with God and fellowship with God interesting as you follow and you go through beginning Genesis go through the chapters Babylon is said located towards the east Sodom and Gomorrah the east Jesus will return back from the east look up in your concordance all easterly directions it's a great study Notice the angelic cherubim of God guarded the garden. The weapon of choice, a flaming sword, turning every way. It was composed of fire. The word flame, the root word is burn or to blaze. It seems to indicate a circular revol- revolving motion to ensure uh, that Adam would not enter in. Knowing he's rebellious, he's going to try to sneak in. You ever try to put your child to bed and try to sneak out of the room? That's Adam. Okay? Okay? The word guard means to have charge of the tree that could impart eternal life. You see, everybody has eternal life. It's where you're going to spend it that's the problem. If you're in Christ, you receive eternal life to live with God for all eternity. If you don't receive Christ, you have eternal life apart from God. So it's not a matter whether you want eternal life. The question is, where are you going to spend eternal life? That's the question. The first Adam forfeited the tree of life. He was kept from eating from the tree of eternal life until the appropriate time. Booted out. Expelled. Adam brought a curse upon creation by eating of the tree of good and evil. Genesis 3, 6, and 17. Adam obtained a sin nature and affected the entire human race. He's the federal head and sin and death entered in. Romans 5, 12. We're all sinners. We all die. Now the last Adam, Jesus Christ, regained the right to the tree of life lost at paradise of Eden. The promised Messiah died on the tree and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, Galatians 3.13 and 1 Peter 2.4. Now you can partake of the tree, the tree in which Christ died. That's the tree of eternal life. In fact, the church of Ephesus, if you remember, the Spirit says this in promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The churches, plural. To him who overcomes, I will give thee from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, Revelation 2.7. He's not talking about the Garden of Eden. He's talking about the eternal state. Revelation two two. the eternal state. Listen. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits Each tree yielding its fruits every month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 22, 14. The last beatitude of Revelation regarding the eternal state says this. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. God has come full circle with his original intention for man. Eternity and paradise with God. Is he good or what? (laughs) the reconciliation from sin was the work of God completely man the judicial court scene in the Garden of Eden reveals the guilty parties being held responsible for their sin regarding the fall in these three movements should we run our lives any less should we run the church any other way of course, not the confrontation of sin was not pretty, it never is. The discrimination of sin was righteous judgment, the reconciliation from sin was the work of God. Great stuff in Genesis, I'm loving it. May God give us the wisdom to yield to His word. May we live out the life of Christ regardless of the sacrifice. Whose fault is it? Yours or God's?
0: <laughs> Pastor Xavier Reis with a challenging reminder of how we should live our lives. And you can request a copy of today's message, It's Not My Fault. As always, you can obtain it on CD for just $4. Now, this will also include what we heard the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is, It's Not My Fault. Or simply mention today's date when you write. Now, here's how to reach us. Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Sin has siblings. More sin. We'll find out how you can break the cycle when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com